0: Oh yeah, oh
1: yeah, everything, everything, everything gonna be alright this morning.
3: Well, the Houston Astros made history last night for all the wrong reasons as Lance McCullers took to the mound and then proceeded to throw batting practice pitches to the Philadelphia Phillies hitters as they crushed the Astros' faces to take a 2-1 to lead in the world series good morning welcome to rp3 and company i'm your host the big bald and beautiful one raymond parts the third better known as rp3 i'm joined inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire miss hannah five names we got a great show lined up for you today four guests on tap scheduled if you will to make an appearance Lisa Prejean is going to be joining us at the end of this hour. She's part of the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial Committee. They have a great ceremony event this coming weekend to honor our vets. We'll talk all about that with Lisa Prejean. That'll be coming up at the end of this hour. At 7.30, Ron Higgins, the award-winning columnist from Tiger Details, will join us as we preview LSU Bama. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, will be hopping on with us at 8 o'clock to recap what happened in Hattiesburg and to preview Saturday's Troy-UL game at Cajun Field. And then at 8.30, our buddy from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, Andrew Juge, will join us as we'll recap the win over the Raiders and look ahead to Monday night football matchup against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we got to start off with the Houston Astros. That's a good old-fashioned, wait for it, woof. I couldn't tell at first until I started seeing the side-by-side. Sure did appear that Lance McCullers Jr. was tipping his pitches. You had the moment after Bryce Harper belted a home run where he came into the dugout, spoke to some of the other guys, and then they hit one as well. And then when you saw the side-by-side on social media that people were able to put together, you saw the leg kick. Now, Lance McCullers Jr. denied that he was tipping his pitches afterwards. But it sure did appear that way. As McCullers gave up five home runs. Five. That ties a World Series record the Phillies did with their five home runs in the Game 3 victory. The second time in this World Series, the team with the supposed better pitching, deeper rotation, lost the game because their starting pitching got shelled. It was like watching batting practice last night. Most home runs hit in a World Series game. The Phillies tied that record with five in a 7-0 win over the Astros on Tuesday night. All five came off a starter, Lance McCullers Jr. A record for most home runs surrendered by a single pitcher in a World Series game. Why did they leave them in there? We said the same thing about why did Dusty leave Justin Verlander in there as long as he did in game one. And what did Dusty do again? Left a starting pitcher in there. And we anticipated because McCullers has not been very good, great. He has been at best okay since he got back from the IL. And we all anticipated, okay, if McCullers is going to throw, it's going to be a bullpen game right behind him. That's why you had Jose Arquiti on the World Series roster. The guy that's won three games for you in his career. In the World Series. That was supposed to be the thing. Not so much. Not so much. The Astros, remember, hosted the Phillies in the final three days of the regular season. McCullers gave up one run over six innings in that matchup. Tuesday, totally different. Bryce Harper, first inning home run. Alex Baum, second inning home run. Brandon Marsh, second inning home run. Kyle Schwarber, home run in the fifth. Rice Hoskins, home run in the fifth. The Phillies became the first team in World Series history to hit five home runs in the first five innings of a game. Harper said afterwards, quote, we talked about it before the game, just trying to get on him early, trying to get him uh, get on him often. And before the second inning, Harper called over Baum from the on-deck circle to the dugout and offered him a quick word of advice. Asked if he and Baum discussed McCullers possibly tipping his pitches. Harper said afterwards, quote, I think that's just general conversation, trying to get as much information as we can from each other. We just tried to have the best at-bats we could. End quote. And Baum smiled when asked what Harper told him. That's between us. That means he was tipping his pitches. The leg kick is what was... The thing that was the telltale sign. McCullers gets absolutely roughed up. And you wonder why Dusty left him in for so long. Now Dusty doesn't think, didn't think that Lance was tipping his pitches. Lance McCullers Jr. says he wasn't tipping his pitches or didn't think he was tipping his pitches. Well, obviously they knew what was coming. Because they teed off on him like he was batting practice. Houston had been unbeaten on the road this postseason, 3-0, and having allowed just only four earned runs in 36 innings across the three wins. Two of those were shutout victories. Well, there was none of that last night. Now, remember, last year the Strohs went down to the Red Sox in the ALCS and was able to move on from there. Right? They went down in that series, got clobbered, came back, won the series. But this also has, you know, Oof. Astros' national vibes to it. Remember 2019 when the Nationals bashed them in? They bounced back with a Game 3 win. Well, now you got to bounce back with a Game 4 win. Christian Javier is going to pitch tonight. Just unbelievable. McCullers becomes the first pitcher ever to allow five home runs in a World Series game. The Phillies are also the first team in World Series history to hit three home runs in the first two innings. Chandler Rome, who covers the Houston Astros for the Houston Chronicle, tweeted this out, and this is Pretty much encompasses everything about the Strohs' performance. The Astros managed this game with the intensity and aggression of a mid-June afternoon getaway day game. Sure didn't feel like there was a sense of urgency out there. And here's the crazy thing. McCullers hadn't allowed a home run on an off-speed pitch all year. He allowed two. It's unbelievable. Had not pitched that poorly, had not got roughed up like that all season long. And when you needed your veteran pitcher, once again, I keep bringing this point home. When you needed your veteran pitcher to go out there and do his job... He didn't do it. You needed Verlander to do his job in game one. He didn't do it. You needed Lance McCullers Jr. to do his job last night. Guess what? He didn't do it either. You had two veteran pitchers that have pitched in World Series games, have won playoff games, who understand what's on the line, going out there and stinking up the place. Now, is this a byproduct of the fact that this team has been to six straight a- LCSs, is back to back trips to November? Is there wear and tear there? Maybe. Or maybe it's just they've picked the absolute worst time to pitch their worst games. Verlander's going to win the Cy Young just like he did in 2019 when he wasn't very good in that postseason either when they lost the World Series. It also would have helped if the Astros' bats would have, I don't know, done something. Altuve, 0 for 4. Jeremy Pena, who became the first rookie shortstop to win a gold glove yesterday. By the way, Kyle Tucker also won a golden glove. Gold glove for the Astros. He got a hit. But Alvarez, 0 for 4. Bregman, 0 for 3. Kyle Tucker, 0 for 4. You're getting production from the rookie Jeremy Pena, the old man Yuli Gurriel, and the rookie Hensley. And McCormick. And Maldonado. That's where all the Astros hits came from. Not Alvarez. Not Altuve. Not Alvarez. Not Bregman. Not Tucker. Those guys decided not to show up last night. And credit Suarez. He was dealing. But the bottom of the lineup is. Hitting. Hitting. So, your veteran pitcher gets destroyed and gets left in the game far too long. And your best hitters, Altuve, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, they all decide to go over. Astros are in trouble. Your two veteran pitchers have wet the bed. Your guys aren't hitting. Not a great combination. And everyone said, oh, Astros in five. <laughs> no. Now you got to figure it out. Now you have to have Christian Javier go out there and lead the way. Because Verlander, garbage. Lance McCullers Jr., garbage. So, here you go. And Dusty leaving them in, I just... (laughs) I know he's an old school manager. But when the Phillies started treating him like batting practice, that was the time to to pull the plug. He didn't pull the plug early enough on Verlander. Didn't pull the plug early enough on McCullers. I mean, that's why you got Jose Arquiti on the roster because he's a starting pitcher that can eat up innings. Oh, they finally went to him. They used Stanek to get out of the jam. I don't know why we they didn't keep using Stanek just to eat up innings. But then he handed it over to Arkady, and, and what did he do? He gave up one hit, walked one, struck out four. No runs, and three innings. Maybe you should have went to your bullpen earlier. But they didn't. And now the Strohs find themselves down two games to one. On the road with two more games tonight and tomorrow in Philly. Woo! (laughs) Now you got to put it all on Christian Javier. Because do you have any faith whatsoever, Astro fan, that if you go down 3-1 and you hand the ball over to Verlander in, in game five that he can stave off elimination for you? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. 7 nothing win by the Phillies. Game four will be tonight. You can listen to it right here on the game. You can listen to every pitch, clutch hit. Maybe the Astros will have some of those. And thrilling moments of game four tonight right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles. Astro launch will begin at 6:30, and first pitch is set for 703. You can listen to it all live on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Then text PANTHER to 337-283-8100 for your chance to score a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda Forever at the Celebrity Theaters in Broussard on November 10th. Once again, text the word PANTHER to 337-283-8100 to score tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. Astros get absolutely housed by the Phillies, seven to nothing, as the Phillies hit a record tying five home runs in a World Series game. Lance McCullers Jr. becomes the first pitcher in World Series history to give up five home runs in a game. They finally turned it over to Stanek, who got him out of the jam there in the fifth. And then Urquidy came in and pitched three clean innings. Too little, too late. Probably should have pulled Verlander in game one. Dusty didn't. Probably should have pulled Lance McCullers Jr. early last night and didn't. And intern extraordinaire Moses Campos brings up an interesting scenario. Let's say the Astros are able to force a game seven because right now they trail two to one. Do you allow Lance McCullers Jr. to pitch in game seven? I... Do you? That's that's the big question because you're going to have Christian Javier go tonight in game four. You'll have Verlander for game five. Then if it goes to six games, once again, it has to go to six games. Game six would be game six would be Saturday in Houston. Game seven, if needed, would be in Houston on Sunday, which means McCullers would be available again in game seven. Do you actually throw him or do you say, Jose, you're our guy? You're gonna pitch game seven if need be. Moses, Campos now joins us here. All right, bud, you're the Astro fan. Do you trust Lance McCullers Jr. to be thrown in Game 7 if you even get to a Game 7?
4: No. (laughs) No. Should be Arkidi, right? I honestly think so. I mean, like you said, he only gave up, what, a hit and a walk in three innings?
3: One hit, one walk, no earned runs, struck out four in three innings through 45 pitches.
4: I think that speaks for itself.
3: And if it's game seven, why not go bullpen game? That's the other part of that. If, if if Urquidy maybe starts to struggle, well, it's the last game of the series anyway. So start Jose, go with him, and then throw Stanek for a couple innings and throw Will Smith or whoever else you got. You have a, a Montero, you have a, a ton of guys in that bullpen that can eat up innings for you. You can go five, six pitchers if need be. So that's what I think they – and look, if you need to use Lance in a relief role and you're running out of arms, then maybe you use him then. But if I'm an Astro fan, I have trepidation about JV going out there after the way he looked in game one, and then McCullers. Yeah, you have more faith in Framer Valdez and Christian Javier than you do with your two veteran guys.
4: That's so sad. It really is, but that's just how it is.
3: That's kind of how it feels, though. Mm -hmm. that's how it feels because you trust Valdez more. I expect the Astros to bounce back with a win today. I do. I, I think Christian's going to pitch well. The other big concern is besides your two veteran arms, just peeing down their own leg in a game is Altuve, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, four best hitters on this team combined last night and I know Suarez was dealing he was dealing towards them because the bottom of the lineup had no problems getting hits McCormick Maldonado Hensley a rookie Yuli Gurriel the old man who couldn't hit for 162 games they all got hits but Altuve Alvarez Bregman and Tucker they went out there and said you know what let's go 0 for 15
4: that's ridiculous
3: These are the guys. These are the all-stars. These are former league MVP and league uh, league MVP candidate. Gold glove winner. You got to get more production out of these guys.
4: They have to show up tonight.
3: And they really haven't showed up all that much throughout the playoffs altogether. Mm -mm. Those, with the exception of the Alvarez home runs against Seattle, he really didn't show up the rest of the way. Altuve had a good game finally in game four against the Yankees in the ALCS, but he was 0 the whole time. Bregman had been playing well in both series so the fact that he went over is the thing that kind of stands out to me but the rest of the guys haven't been hitting they just haven't been not consistently so if you have a great lineup uh, how many runs does Christian Javier need today 3 maybe that's I'm, fair i think maybe 3
4: that's
2: fair
3: can this lineup get 3 runs <laughs>
4: You'd hope. You'd hope. I haven't checked. Who's pitching tonight? For, for uh, Nola's pitching tonight.
3: Now, you hope that he is tired, right? There's been some talk about Nola not exactly being the extra day is going to benefit them because Nola gets the extra day of rest, which could be key for them. But you got to take game four here.
4: Yeah, it's a must win.
3: Even though it's only 2-1, and they've done this before. They came back uh, last year against the Red Sox and the LCS, so it's not as if they can't do this and come back. But it's Javier versus Nola tonight. you got to win this game. Because it's got to be 2-2. Because I just don't know if you – it's a crazy thing to say. I don't know if you trust Justin Verlander.
4: I don't think you win – down 3-1 with Justin Verlander after what he showed in game one.
3: The man's talking just real talk. Moses campos?
4: Tough to hear, but it has to be said.
3: It has to be said. We got to take a timeout. That has to be done. See, we know when to pull our one of our starters. Dusty Baker could take notes here. When we come back, we'll talk college football playoff rankings. Initial ones came out last night. An SEC team sits atop the standings, but not the team many people thought would. In LSU, in the top ten? Yes, sir. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets.
3: But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a three dollar bet that netted me a cool six dollars and seventy cents.
2: What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. Nineteen, hit me. Twenty, hit me. Twenty-one, hit me. Twenty-two. No. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look. If you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches, what happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address. And someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. While the Astros were getting shelled by the Phillies, college football playoff rankings came out, initial ones for the season, and a few surprises. Tops of the list, Tennessee is the number one ranked team in the rankings. Some people thought it was going to be Ohio State. Others thought it was going to be Georgia, the defending national champs. Instead, it's Tennessee, Volunteers, Rocky Top, number one. Followed by number two, Ohio State. Number three is UGA, and then number four is Clemson, which caused people to get all fired up on the social media. Five is Michigan, first team out on you know, outside looking in. Essentially, if Michigan and Ohio State are undefeated before the big game, their their rivalry game winner will more than likely punch their ticket to the college football playoff because. I don't see a scenario where the winner of that game is going to lose the Big Ten Championship. So that'll fix itself. Clemson, they're four. Eh. Some people are upset about them being ranked higher than TCU. TCU's got better this. TCU's got better. Look, Clemson has the name recognition. We know how this works. Plus, it's the very first rankings in November. Still got like a month here, people. We can all just pump the brakes. Ooh, calm down. But Tennessee one, Ohio State, two. Georgia, three. Clemson, four. Michigan, five. Alabama, six. Told y'all they would be in the mix. It's always going to be this way. But Tennessee, Georgia is going to be interesting because they face off on Saturday. Winner will have the inside track to representing the SEC East for the SEC championship game. If the loser wins out, distinct possibility that they still make the college football playoff. But LSU, with two losses, comes in at number 10 in the initial college football playoff rankings. That caught a lot of folks By surprise, seeing the Tigers there at number 10, the committee obviously values LSU more than the poll voters do. They also afterwards cited Tennessee being number one because of the convincing dominant victory in Death Valley over LSU. So that tells you how the committee feels about Brian Kelly and the Tigers. Once again, Brian Kelly in year one has LSU ranked in the top 10 in the college football playoff rankings after taking over a team that only had 39 scholarship players. Just like to point that out. Now, do I believe LSU's ranked higher than they probably should be? Yes, I I do. But they are coming off the win over Ole Miss, who, by the way, is 11th. So despite having two losses, one being to Tennessee and the other one being the opener where they came up short against Florida State, LSU finds itself at number 10. This also, look, by having LSU ranked 10, you know, we have a 1-3 matchup this week between Tennessee and Georgia. We have 6-10 matchup between Alabama and LSU. You see how that works? (laughs) You, You see what I'm saying? You see how this works? SEC is dominant. This is how this kind of works. But the other big surprise, Tulane, the green wave, roll wave, Comes in at number 19, highest ranked group of five team. Willie Fritz has done a great job turning things around after last year's two-win team. They're ranked 19. Remember, highest ranked team from the group of five conferences. Gets a spot at the table for one of the New Year's Day six bowl games, which means Tulane has their sights set on going to the Cotton Bowl. Right. Tulane... In the Cotton Bowl is where we could that that could be a possibility, which is crazy to think of. So, two lanes there at nineteen, LSU's at ten, but just going to throw some things out there to you on why you shouldn't overreact to the first rankings of the college football playoffs since the college football playoffs began. We've had six teams not ranked in the top six in the initial rankings. Once again, first rankings for the college football playoff came out last night. In its history, we've had six teams not ranked in the top six. You only take four for the playoffs right now. And then you had the two that are always lurking at five and six this year right now. Today, it's Michigan, Alabama at five and six. We've had six teams not ranked in the top six make the college football playoff. That's why I make people, people are, oh, I can't believe TCU's not ranked higher. I can't believe Clemson's ranked at four. I can't believe this. Well, guys, simmer down. Oklahoma, 2015, they were ranked 15th in the very first playoff ranking poll. Ohio State in 2014, they were ranked 14th. By the way, they won the national championship that year. That's the year they crushed Alabama in the Sugar Bowl in the semifinals when Zeke Elliott ran all over Alabama and Nick Saban's defense. Oklahoma made it again in 2019 when they, in the first poll, they were number nine. Michigan last year was number seven in the first poll. They made the college football playoff. Oklahoma again. Made it in 2018, first poll, number seven. And Michigan State in 2015 made it as number seven. So just because a team is ranked outside of the top six in the very first college football playoff rankings does not mean that they are already eliminated. So look at those other teams like TCU, like others, have legitimate chances of getting into the college football playoffs. And also worth noting, the top four teams in the very first college football playoff rankings have never all made the playoff. It's never happened. Never happened. One of these, at least one of them, will not make the playoffs. Once again, your top four, Tennessee one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, Clemson 4, Michigan's at 5, Alabama's at 6. Just saying. It's the first rankings, just saying. Just calm yourself. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll wrap up our number one speaking with Lisa Prejean from the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial Committee. They have a great event honoring vets this weekend. We'll talk about it. That's next right here on The Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I don't know about you, but personally, there's never a bad time to take a moment to honor our veterans, the brave men and women who serve our country. And there's a local group that's doing that this coming weekend. It's going to be the Karen Crow Veterans Celebration. It's going to be held Saturday starting at 10 o'clock in downtown Karen Crow at the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial next to City Hall There's a slew of events involved with this celebration and to tell us more about it is a member of the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial Committee. Lisa Prejean joins us now. Lisa, good morning to you. Thank you so much for making the time.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
3: Lisa, let's start off talking a little bit about Saturday's event that's going to be held there at the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial. You know, tell us a little bit about the genesis of this event. How did it come to be and why was it so important to put on this event in the month of November, which is also, of course, around the same time as Veterans Day?
1: Yes, well it's held the Saturday prior to actual Veterans Day. And this event has a long history in Karen Crow. The Karen Crow Business Association hosted this event for many years prior to the establishment of the Veterans Memorial downtown. Once the memorial was established back in, I guess 2014 now, um, the city took that over and the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial hosts this event each year. We're really excited to return this year to a live in-person event. Of course, the last two events were held virtually. So we're really looking forward to seeing the community come out again to honor veterans.
3: For an event that has had a longstanding tenure in the community to have it become virtual or to be limited as it had been the last couple of years, what's been the uh, level of excitement with folks in the community with our area veterans about having this event live in-person bigger and better?
1: I think people are very excited about it. You know, our community has a, a very sincere, heartfelt appreciation for veterans. And while, you know, there was uh, that honor during the pandemic over the last couple of years held virtually and online, uh, it really makes a difference to have people come together and express their gratitude face-to-face to our veterans.
3: The celebration is going to begin at 10 o'clock, but there's all different types of events inside of the larger event. A couple of them I definitely want to talk about. And the first one is this student art exhibit that you're having on. Um, what are the ages of these young artists? And I would assume that the theme is uh, veterans and patriotism. Tell us a little bit about the, the student art exhibit that's going to be there for as part of the celebration on Saturday.
1: Well, the Karen Crow Cultural District sponsors the art exhibit, and it's for elementary school students, and they generally uh, will depict uh, art that represents what they interpret uh, patriotism to be. Uh, they often have family members who are part of the military, so they can really relate to this. And for younger children, it's an easy way for them to show uh their respect for the military, and to learn about military service.
3: Another great element of this Karen Crow Veterans celebration that's going to be taking place once again at the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial next to City Hall this Saturday starting at 10 o'clock is the Patriotic Essay Contest. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. I'm so intrigued and and I'm going to go out on a big limb here and say that there's going to be some really uh, heartwarming, emotional uh, essays here talking about patriotism um, from our young people.
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, this is sponsored by the Karen Crow Business Association each year, and it's for eighth graders in uh, area schools. And you'd be amazed at the essays that come out of that, that competition. These students really put a lot of thought into what of being a veteran means to them. And again, as with the younger students in the art exhibit, many of these students have personal experience with veterans, members of their family, and uh, it, it really comes from their heart, the, um, the comments that we see in these essay contests. Uh, the first place winner will actually read his or her uh, essay, and all the top 10 winners will be recognized as well.
3: Once again, we're talking with Lisa Prejean. She's part of the Cairn Crow Veterans Memorial Committee. They're putting on the Cairn Crow Veterans Celebration this Saturday at the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial next to City Hall in downtown Cairn Crow. The event starts at 10 o'clock. Lisa, we'll wrap it up with this. For folks that maybe have not been able to come out to the event in years past or have wanted to but were unable to do so because of the pandemic a few years ago, um, why would you tell them that this is the event that they need to make sure to mark on their calendar to come out this coming weekend for.
1: I would say that if you want to see true appreciation from a hometown crowd uh, and real community spirit honoring veterans, you should really be in downtown Karen Crow November 5th.
3: Lisa, thank you so much for your time and everything that you and the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial Committee is doing in the community. Thank you so much and hope you have a great turnout come Saturday. Thank you so much. That's Lisa Prajon with the Karen Crow Veterans Committee. Once again, they're putting on the Karen Crow Veterans Celebration this Saturday at the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial next to City Hall in downtown Karen Crow. The event's gonna start at 10 o'clock. They're gonna honor the vets. There's a great essay contest with the kids, a student art exhibit, and so much more. Make sure to go check it out with the holidays right around the corner why not go ahead and sign up for the rewards club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com we got great items in there that would make the perfect stocking stuffer for this holiday season we got a 150 and fifty dollar gift certificate to mr lester's steakhouse down at cypress bayou we also have a 25 five dollar gift certificate to mabel's kitchen also inside cypress bayou and we still have 50 dollar gift certificates to half shell oyster house you can find all of those great gifts inside our clubhouse, but you can only win them by becoming a member, so go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Let us help you with stocking stuffers this holiday season. That's going to do it for hour number one here on RP3 and Company, hour number two on deck, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Whoa.
1: Everything, 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 Gonna be
2: alright this morning
1: Live Hi, from, the from the Delta, Delta Media
2: Studios, Studios in, in Upper Lafayette, Lafayette Here is the producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names And your, and your big, big, bald, beautiful, beautiful host Raymond Parts III Better known as RP3 7 nothing
3: is the final score as the Phillies rough up Lance McCullers Jr. and the Houston Astros in game three of the World Series to take a two-to-one series lead. McCullers makes history. The wrong kind of history, but makes history. Becoming the first pitcher in World Series history to surrender five home runs in a single game. Can we get a woof? That's a big old woof. Dusty leaves him in there. He was obviously tipping pitches. The Phillies were coy about it afterwards. Dusty said he didn't think he was t- uh, tipping his pitches, and neither did Lance. But if you looked at the side-by-side, he was doing the leg kick thing. Harper recognized it earlier. Hit his home run and then told his teammates about it, and then they just teed off on him. Dusty left him in there because that's Dusty. Verlander struggled. He left him in there. McCullers, he struggled. He left him in there. Dusty's the type of guy that says, hey, figure it out. I'm going to let my guy try to figure it out. But when you put your team in a hole, you know, game one, the Astros had a five-run lead. Verlander threw it away, put in the trash. Last night, McCullers gives up all those runs. The two veteran guys, the guys with all the experience, should he have went to Jose Architi earlier? Probably. We finally saw Stanek and Architi in a game. And they did their job. They pitched well. They stopped the bleeding and gave the Astros a chance. Unfortunately... While Lance McCullers Jr. went to sleep, the lineup as well has not been good. Altuve, Alvarez, Bregman, Tucker, the four best hitters on the team, went 0 for 15. Foot and I have had this conversation before. We had it before he went on the air yesterday. Pitching's great. It is. I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. We had the best rotation in baseball year after year after year. And it didn't matter. Because what happens is that your ace pitchers will have bad games. It happened to the Braves over and over again. Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, in particular, are Hall of Famers. Two of the best ever do it. But in the postseason, They were known for struggling. And Glavin had the great 95 World Series against the Cleveland Indians, but the rest of his career was surrounded by being mediocre in the postseason. And when one of your aces has an off night, you got to be able to depend on the lineup to get enough hits. Philly can rake. I don't care that they're an 87-win team. They can rake. I still liked the Astros to win this World Series in six games because I thought Philly would win at least one game in Philly. But what you're starting to see happen for the Strohs is that on days, on nights where their, their veteran pitchers don't have it. And this has happened now twice in the first three games of this World Series. This is why they're down 2-1. to one. On nights when their two aces don't have their stuff, their bats disappear. In game one, it happened after Verlander surrendered the lead. They gave Verlander a 5-0 lead. He squandered it. Then the bats went silent afterwards. And that sometimes happens. Because what happens is that the team itself feels good about itself, feels confident, hey, we just gave Justin Verlander a five-run lead. And then when Verlander squanders it, all of a sudden the team gets a little tight. It becomes a little deflating because, hey, we just scored half of 10 for you and you blew it. Oh, no. So even though they're a veteran team and they've been there and they've done that, that happens. I saw it all the time with Atlanta. And we've seen it with this run for the Stros. So that's what happened in game one, that they got the early runs. They gave Verlander the early lead. They were hitting the you know the hide off the ball. And then once Verlanders squandered the lead and it became a tied ball game, all of a sudden you're like, uh oh. And then the Astros couldn't hit the rest of the night. Last night was different. Last night it was the opposite. It was McCullers getting teed off on, and the guys never got into a groove. On paper, the Astros should win this series. But this is what makes baseball so great and so frustrating at the same time, because the best team doesn't always win. In baseball, it's whatever team's the hottest. We saw it last year with the Braves, a team that made all those deals at the trade deadline, came back, stormed back, won the division, got into the playoffs, and won the whole thing. They were the hotter team. They weren't the better team on paper. The Astros were. But the Braves beat the Astros because they were the hotter team. Same thing happened in 19 with the Nationals. There's no universe where the Washington Nationals should have won that World Series. But they got hot at the right time. Momentum and a team getting hot at the right time means the entire world in baseball. It always has. It just has. And this Phillies team that had bullpen issues throughout the season, remember the Phillies fired their skipper during the season. Bryce Harper was banged up. He don't look banged up now. And they're feeling themselves. And rightfully so. They went on the road. They took two games from the St. Louis Cardinals. Said they didn't care about Albert Pujols trying to extend his career. Go retire. Here you go. Bye. Division rival, Atlanta Braves, defending World Series champions. Don't care. Done. We eliminated you. Padres, you're great. You exerted all that energy to beat your rival Los Angeles Dodgers. That's adorable. We don't care. Done. Oh, Astros, you've made six straight ALCSs. You're making your fourth World Series appearance in six years. You have all this experience. Guess what? We don't care. That's what makes Philly a dangerous team. Look who they've already vanquished. And now they have a 2-1 series lead. Now, can the Astros get back on track? Yes, it has to fall on Christian Javier's uh, shoulders tonight. And then it goes, okay, if they can get it to 2-2 tonight, game five is tomorrow, Verlander will more than likely pitch. And then JV will have the opportunity to be the hero. The guy with more career postseason strikeouts than anyone, Justin Verlander. Think he's fifteen and ten or fifteen and eleven overall in the postseason in his career. ERA's around 3 3. Pretty good. Never won a World Series game. Because if that happens, if they can get the win tonight with Javier, and Verlander can finally get off the schneid and pitch well in a World Series game, Astros are going to win the series in six. Because they'll come back home with all the momentum, and they'll close it out in Game Six. Because once again, baseball is all about momentum. Always has been. But if they tie up the series tonight, two-two, and Verlander loses, and they lose the game in Game Five, and they're down three to two, Phillies probably win in seven. Because I just don't know what the path is for Houston to win if they're trailing 3-2 to two while heading back home. I like their chances to win Game 6 with Framer Valdez. But then are you pitching McCullers again in Game 7? Probably not. You probably have to go bullpen game or let Urquidy start. Pitching is great. It is. It's phenomenal. Helps you in a lot of ways. To get you to this point. But when your pitchers are off, your lineup needs to be on. And last night, they were awful. Just awful. And it wasn't as if Suarez, he was dealing early. That contributes for the 0-15 from Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker. But once again, this postseason we're seeing this where the best hitters on the team aren't getting hits, yet the Astros are finding production from the likes of Modonato and Yuli Gurriel and McCormick. This has been the story of this postseason, hasn't it? Astros getting production from the guys at the bottom of the lineup, but not at the top of the lineup, with the exception of Jeremy Pena. Can they go out there and have a complete game? Can they even up this series tonight? Christian Javier will be taking the bump for Houston. Aaron Nolo will be taking the bump for the Philadelphia Phillies. Astro launch will begin at First pitch is at 7.03. And you can listen to it right here on the game. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four. Niner 5678. five, six, seven, eight. I
4: can't hear you. You're
5: trailing off. And did I catch a Niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie?
2: No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble here in Acadiana, and they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, Chris and his team over at LMG, they provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves, though. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their new line of grout-free showers. That's right. No muss, no fuss, and here's the great thing. (laughs) <laughs> no odor in a couple years. You don't have to worry about that. Make it easy for yourself. Go visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and great products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot, Lafayette Marble, and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Haven't had a chance to talk about the poll question of the day, so now we're going to make some time. We spent most of our time this morning talking about the Houston Astros going down two games to one in the World Series as Lance McCullers Jr. decided to throw batting practice in Philadelphia last night. We also touched on the college football playoff initial rankings. Once again, your top six Number one, Tennessee, a bit of a surprise. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Georgia, the defending national champs. Four is Clemson. Five is Michigan. Six is Alabama. LSU, surprisingly, is number 10. That caught even LSU beat reporters by surprise. (laughs) As they commented on social media, went, whoa, whoa, what? And Tulane. Tulane. The fighting Green Waves. That's right. They're in at number 19, highest-ranked group of five team, which means if they end that way as the highest-ranked group of five team, they'll make it to the Cotton Bowl, which would be a significant accomplishment for the Green Wave. Just a reminder, six teams ranked outside of the top six in the initial rankings have made the college football playoff. No combination of the top four in the initial rankings, have made the playoff that same year. It's never happened. So plenty of games still left to go. Tennessee, Georgia, I still think the loser of that game maybe makes the playoff if they win out. That'll be Saturday. LSU-Alabama is Saturday. Still plenty of football left to go here. We'll talk more about LSU's ranking and gearing up for the marquee matchup against Alabama Saturday night when Ron Higgins joins us in about 10 minutes from right now here on RP3 and Company, our friend from Tiger Details. But right now it's time for us to unveil that poll question of the day. You know, it's Wednesday, and just because we did candy, just because we had a foodie question on Monday because it was Halloween, does not mean that we were going to skip out this week. It's all about cornbread. First of all, who doesn't love cornbread? We'll start there. If you hate on cornbread, I don't know what to do with you. I don't, know, I don't know if I can be friends. Don't know if we can be co-workers or anything. Don't know if you can have an internship. Just throwing it out there. Moses, pay attention. Foodie poll question, though, is all about cornbread. We're a big cornbread household. We love it multiple ways. This is what has inspired the foodie poll question of the week. What is your favorite way to eat cornbread? Is it cornbread with just a little butter? Come right out of the oven, put a little butter on there. Ooh, watch out now. Why are you making face for? I'm trying to go through the poll question, and the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, is over there grimacing, making faces. Moses, what did you do?
6: <laughs> he didn't do anything. I just, um, you keep talking about cornbread. I don't really want some cornbread.
3: You're welcome. You're welcome. Continue. Thank you as you grimaced the whole time. Cornbread with a little butter. We had cornbread last night. My wife made some white beans and sausage. Ooh, it was good. So good. Do you like it? Cornbread dressing. Oh, that's really good. Well, cornbread dressing is top notch. Or do you like it the way my daughter enjoys it as a snack and sometimes as a meal? She does this Cause she learned this from her Mimi and pop cornbread and milk. You crumble up the cornbread in a bowl and you pour milk on top of it. Like it's cereal and you eat it that way. And that's something my daughter now does because her Mimi and pop make it that way for her. And they have it that way. Sometimes some, she even eats that sometimes as a meal when she goes over there. That's our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite way to eat cornbread is it cornbread just with a little butter on top right out of the oven is it cornbread dressing is it cornbread in milk right now leading the vote but not by a lot 37 percent of you say cornbread with butter 33 percent of you say cornbread in milk and 30 percent say cornbread dressing i'm down with cornbread right out of the oven with a little butter i'm down with cornbread dressing i've already requested it for thanksgiving for my wife she's gonna make cornbread dressing I ain't down with the cornbread and milk. My daughter loves it. I don't. JPK, the OD on the Twitter says, onion upside down cornbread, spiked with honey and Tony's slathered with butter. The perfect accoutrement to a pot of white beans or chili with a nice pour of quality bourbon. Are you a chef, JPK,
6: the OD? I think he secretly is.
3: I think he is too. By the way, he always answers our poll questions. Someone's fancy brad on twitter says with gumbo i put a slice in a bowl and soak it in gumbo juice but given those choices it's definitely my favorite thanksgiving day side cornbread dressing wait all year for it brad let me tell you something bud you don't have to wait all year for it. don't have to wait all year for it make the cornbread dressing in may treat yourself bud you don't have to wait for the holidays to treat yourself salty steve I like my cornbread McCullers style. It Gets served up, and everyone knocks the stuffing out of it. No butter needed. See, that's a Yankee fan throwing shade at the Astros through the poll question of the day. Someone's a little bitter about losing in the playoffs yet again to the <laughs> to the Astros. <laughs> I, for Steve to take the time out to go. Okay, this. Poll question is about cornbread. How can I somehow make it about the Astros? And he found a way. (laughs) He found a way. I I like, I will give credit to the creative for people being creative. Not going to knock the creativity. I would argue, Steve, if you had a better manager, you probably wouldn't be eliminated by the Astros year after year. But your front office is committed to Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone. Good luck. Todd. on Twitter says, hashtag write-in. I don't like cornbread unless it's with butter. Hashtag write-in covered in red beans and rice. But cornbread and butter is one of the options. It's not a write-in
6: vote. I, I said that when I saw it. I said, but, but that's an option. It's an option. It's the very first
3: option. Todd. met ton, ton, you okay this morning, bud? Did you have been on the struggle bus this morning? Did we have a late night? Just asking. Because it's one of the options, doesn't need to be a right in bud.
6: No, what you do is you take the cornbread, and then if you have like remies and rice with sausage as well, take the sausage and you put it like as a, you push it in like with the fork inside of the cornbread, and then cover red beans, Eat it like that.
3: Oh, there we go. It's fantastic. John Paul, Cajun daddy says best way with chili or red beans replacing the rice. Darren says sugar and milk. See, Hart says I'm sorry, but as occasion kush is undefeated. Ralph says, of those three, love cornbread dressing, but cornbread and chili is absolutely amazing. It even transforms Wendy's chili with its mystery meat into fine dining. Hope y'all are playing when y'all update the results. Darren, cornbread with a Homer Simpson. I do love cornbread. Martin says, either in a good homemade chili or taco soup. So a lot of y'all like it in using it in your gumbo or your chili or your soup. So a lot of y'all like it as as an added bonus, so to speak, into other dishes. But right now leading the vote of our foodie poll question of the week here on this Wednesday edition of RP3 and Company, 38% of you, 38% of you say cornbread with butter. say cornbread and milk. 29% say cornbread dressing. That's your favorite way to eat cornbread. Keep those votes coming. Ralph Bergeron says, used to be a catfish restaurant that served cornbread in individual black iron skillets, and the servers would flip them in the air and catch them when they landed outstanding. Oh, yeah, I've had that before. Oh, those are so good. So good. Doug on Twitter says, hot cornbread and milk. With a couple spoonfuls of fig preserves. Mmm. Oh, Doug. We have a comment here by RB Mad. Milk with syrup. A lot of y'all like your cornbread sweet or like it with milk. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well on our foodie poll question of the week, which is our poll question of the day every single Wednesday. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Paul to the show. Paul, I got about 45 seconds, bud. They're yours. Make them count.
5: All like, right, good morning, America. I want to say
0: that
2: guy, Steve, is a great guy. Sound like a great Yankee fan, my Yankee buddy.
3: He is a Yankees
5: want...
2: fan. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Great take, man. Look at the glorious day them Astros lost. And first
0: of all, they didn't beat us. They cheated us. And I sent that to you. I sent that thing to you. That's all they do is cheat. Now, I do want to say when you talk about this cornbread, bro, look. I got to have cornbread almost with everything, man. You put a little sugar up in there. You got to be sweet with a little cinnamon. It almost go with anything. So... There I we just want to add that to it. And, bro, I just want to say, man, I hope these Phillies win. I don't like the Astros. They cheat us.
3: Have a good one, bro. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day, honestly, been around, been on this planet a long time, never thought I'd see the day where Yankee fans would be so upset by the Astros. Like, I just never envisioned that. I never thought the evil empire, the dynasty, all the World Series championships, Ruth, Gehrig, Mantle, DiMaggio, Whitey Ford, Yogi Bear. I mean, they are the standard bear, the pinstripes. They are baseball. That they would be so bothered by a little team in Texas. I love y'all. But y'all letting the Astros live rent free in y'all's head. Just saying. Just saying. Y'all are the Yankees. Did you forget? Yankee fans, y'all are the Yankees. The Yankees. You don't let other teams live rent-free in your head. But man, y'all sure have let those Astros just set up shop since 2015 and they've never left. And y'all can talk about 2017 And them cheating and using the trash cans. Y'all have cheated over the years too. Y'all have also had steroid users, which is a form of cheating too. Cheating's part of baseball. Do you think the Yankee teams with Mariano and Jeter and Andy Pettit and Bernie Williams and Paul O'Neill, you think those Yankee teams would be using the excuses that the Yankees used uh, Astros used trash cans to beat them? They sure wouldn't have. Because you know why? Because they would have beaten the Astros. That's why your team is not strong enough to win a World Series because Cashman hasn't done his job like he used to, and Aaron Boone isn't a very good skipper. Until y'all can come and admit to that, Astros are going to continue living rent free in your head. You're the Yankees for crying out loud. You're the Yankees. Y'all shouldn't be whining. Y'all the Yankees. You're the Yankees. Come on now. Got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, the mad dog Ron Higgins will be joining us, talking LSU Bama, college football playoff rankings. That's all next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the Mad Dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company.
3: Mad Dog, how was the cruise, my friend?
5: It was great, man. It was a great cruise, and now I'm on a movie set. I'm going to go hop on the van in a second to go to the set. So it was good. Got off the cruise, and now I'm doing a movie for two days.
3: This man is – your life has become cruise ships, movie and TV sets, and covering LSU. Like, that's kind of the dream, bud. That's that's a great life you're living.
5: It's been fun, you know, and you got LSU Alabama at the end of this week, so it's a, it's a good deal.
3: All right, let's start there. Were you surprised the College Football Playoff rankings committee put LSU at number ten overall?
5: Yeah, it was. I was. Uh, I was very surprised. I thought you know they'd probably come in like like the rest of the rankings around fifteen or sixteen, something like that. But you know the uh, the committee looks at everything. They really do. I, I've done the I, I've I've done the, the, the College Football Playoff committee exercise. I, I've been to I've been to their headquarters. I've done two two days of work there. To see how they they, they do the, the process is. It's a very thorough process. And uh, they, they know their stuff. And so but I, was, I was surprised. Yes, I was pleasantly uh, surprised. Uh, Jack LG, LG fans up a little more. Just like I said, let's calm down. Everybody calm down. Let's go play a game. And calm down. You know, just one at a time.
3: And they get Alabama on Saturday. They're ranked in all the polls. They're ranked number 10 in the college football playoff rankings, LSU is. They're having a far better season than many of us thought they probably would in year one under Brian Kelly. He's done a nice job. What's been the biggest thing that you've noticed with him and this team? Because it seems like they're they're progressing week to week, which is something we hadn't seen in the last couple years under Coach O. They're doing a nice job of that. But what do you think is the biggest key to Kelly's success so far, Ron?
1: Up,
7: can look at you
5: and see what you need to do. Okay. All right. Uh, I gotta go over here. I, I g I gotta go to makeup. <laughs> uh, the, the biggest thing really is with him is that he has he has kept his cool. He has not panicked. And uh, that was the biggest thing that He didn't panic. He kept he, he stayed with the process and kept with it and never panicked about it. You know I mean uh, and he uh, you know worked through Jane Daniel's early problems stayed with him and uh, this is patience and the belief in his system. Uh, that's the biggest thing. It wasn't a sound of, uh, he never saw him go too crazy after a loss and you know things you know when things are really bad with the, the, the kicking game, they kind of you know kind of he, he's just been really steady and I think that's what they needed. somebody's really steady with a plan.
3: Steady with a plan. I, I agree and I think that's made all the difference in the world. And, and he stuck with Jaden Daniels. Now, what you've seen from him and the way this offense is starting to operate, offensive line is blocking, they're able to run the football a little bit better. Ron, do you think they are peaking at the right time? And do you think they're going to be able to find offensive success against an Alabama defense that is, let's be honest, not the vintage Nick Saban defense at Alabama?
5: I think Daniel gives him the element that never had before against Alabama. A guy who can, correctly, uh, can take off and run, uh, and can make plays on the run. Uh, yeah, I do think they got a chance. I, re- I really do. I mean, he's very mobile. He, he can get away from the Alabama pass rushers. Uh, I think he's proved the last couple of games. He trusts his receivers now. I mean, the pass he threw to uh, to, to J- Jenkins. I mean, the to Ray Jenkins in Ole Miss game where he just lofted it up and got, made a play on it and score a touchdown. I think that. It, it boosted his confidence enormously in the receiver. So, yeah, I think because of uh, Daniel's mobility, uh, he's a different type of quarterback that LSU's ever had to face out them. They haven't had this type of guy.
3: Obviously, Daniels brings a different element to the table, Ron, in this matchup, and that, that's going to be kind of a game changer for them. What do you see as the, the biggest kind of keys for LSU to win Saturday night in Death Valley against Alabama?
5: Don't beat itself, don't make mistakes, not a bunch of penalties, don't have a bunch of dumb turnover, especially in the kicking game. I mean, don't do things to beat itself. When else she doesn't do that, it can hang in games and play. It just don't beat itself. Uh, I mean, if you lose 24 nothing or 24-10 to or whatever and you don't make a mistake, you can live with that. But when you self-destruct like you did against Tennessee early, it's, it's hard to take. So, really, you've got to, you've got to uh, you know, just not make mistakes and try to try to stay away from that to me that's the biggest thing.
3: How key is it and we'll wrap it up with this mad dog so I can let you go and go to set buddy. Is how you know they've gone down early against Mississippi State, Auburn, Ole Miss and they've been able to pull out the wins against all those teams. But this is Alabama, this is Nick Saban, it's a little bit different. How key is it for them not to go down by two touchdowns in the first half?
5: That would be a huge key. You know, and the key for LSU is to get up early and Alabama to make some mistakes. I mean, have you seen Alabama's loss? I mean, their loss to Tennessee. It looked like a lot like LSU's loss to LSU in 2019 where they just self-destructed some fumbles early, missed field goals. Uh, Yeah, I mean, LSU doesn't need to get in two touchdowns. They can't do that. They don't need to do that. Uh, And they can't can't keep them back like that. It's hard over and over. I guess Alabama is especially tough.
3: All right, Bud. Do you think they're going to get the win on Saturday? How do you feel about the game?
5: It's hard to pick against Alabama, uh, but I, I think it will be. I think it's eleven and a half points. I think LSU covers the spread for sure. You know, I, I can't, anything, anything can happen in Tiger him Saturday night, and, and uh, with Daniels, they really get a chance. I mean, uh, he gives them a chance they haven't had before because Alabama hasn't seen an LSU quarterback like him before.
3: Mad Dog, appreciate your time as always, brother. Get to set. Get your makeup on. Dazzle them with your thespian skills, my friend. Enjoy being on set for the next couple days.
5: All right, man. We'll see you.
3: My man's living his best life. Cruise ships, movie and TV sets. That's all Higgins' life is now. Sprinkled in between is covering the LSU Tigers.
6: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I have to ask him because we're going on our the cruise for the honeymoon. I gotta ask him some tips and tricks. He's gone on so many. I feel like I just ask him anything, and be like, "Hey, can I do this?" He's gonna go, "Yeah, yeah, you can." Oh, if not it's time Ron Higgins told you could.
3: You he goes on so many cruises now. They have exactly he has it down to a science. So if you need help, five names you reach out to the Mad Dog, and he will give you the assistance needed to book the amazing cruise.
6: Yeah, because the the, the in laws have now booked the cruise. We just have to look at, we put on our registry, like our excursion we're going to do, where we're going to go see a shaman and do like a, like a cleansing ceremony. And then we go snorkeling in this like deep cavern, cavern. I I don't know.
3: I was expecting, uh, I did not have on my bingo card shaman talk today on RP3 and company, but yet here we are.
6: Yet here we are.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yet, yet here we are. While we have a minute, let's update the poll question of the day because you guys have come out strong on this one. Plenty of great comments. Ton of vote. This was inspired by my wife making delicious cornbread last night. Shout out to Tina. And uh, there was only one piece left when we went to bed last night. I'm fairly for certain it's probably gone now. Not for sure if... The daughter had it with milk this morning for breakfast. But that led us to this poll question of the day. What is your favorite way to eat cornbread? What's your favorite way? Is it just right out of a skillet with a little butter on top? Ooh, that's so good. So good. Is it cornbread dressing? Already got the request in to the wife, making it for Thanksgiving. Or is it the way my daughter enjoys having it? Sometimes as a meal when she goes to her Mimi and Pops, Hattie likes cornbread in milk. I think it's a little too mushy myself. I like my cornbread just, you know, out of the skillet, cut up in little triangles. That's how I like to roll with it. But my daughter likes cornbread in milk. Right now, leading the vote, 35% say cornbread with just a little butter, but 33% say they like their cornbread as cornbread dressing. And 32% of you say cornbread and milk. This is battling it out on this poll question of the day. Many of you have also said love it in gumbo and in chili and in soup. Like that. A lot of you say best way to eat it is with chili. I do like cornbread and chili. It is very good. Very good. Some of y'all said with sugar, some have said with syrup. Oh, Kyler says, "Come on, Ray, cornbread and milk." <laughs> come on. man oh, says, "Come on, man." Oh. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> I just I don't like it. It's too mushy. It's not my thing. My daughter loves it. My daughter for dinner. If we gave her the option, piece of cornbread in her little yellow bowl, pour some milk on top. Done deal. She'd eat it all. Why are you shaking your head? Why you got the disgusted look on your face? Why are you being so judgmental about my eight-year-old daughter and how she eats things? Let's start there.
6: Stop. 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 Let's start
3: there. Do you? Stop. Do we need to bring her to the studio and give her, have her give you the business? Because you know she will.
6: See, the thing is, you won't do that because you have yet to bring her to the studio when I'm here. So the boys see her, but I don't see her.
3: To be fair, that would mean not having her in school.
6: <laughs> okay, well, she was out of school and you still didn't bring her. You had said, she had school for a couple days, so I'm bringing her to the studio, and you didn't do that.
3: She has been brought to the studio. You just weren't here because, you know, you had something to do.
6: Going home after working for seven hours. Oh, yes, there um, it is. Oh, yeah, that was all. Oh. I don't know. Oh. I, it's, it's I just know, really I know. soggy. I,
3: I know, working in radio is like working in the coal mines in yes. West Virginia in the 40s.
6: Exactly. Oh, oh, such,
3: such, so tough. <laughs> so tough.
6: But no, like the, I feel like if you're crushing up cornbread and you're putting in a bowl, no, it sounds like it'd be too soggy. It freaks me out. I, okay, I'm dipping a cornbread into some milk, but not like. Eating it like cereal. That that freaked me out. It seems too soggy.
3: I just love it straight up. Yeah. Just love it straight up. Here's another option. Write-in vote, courtesy of my wife who just texted me. Cornbread casserole. Ooh. Ooh. Now we're talking.
6: So she's making some.
3: Oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go, wife. Mm. When are you going to make that now? Mm. And the intern's <laughs> perked up now, too. He's paying attention all of a sudden. He's like, "Oh, cornbread casserole. And you're going to be Corn- making this when?
6: Cornbread casserole for breakfast? key. key. Uh, We can do that. We can
3: do that. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. When we come back after this timeout, we'll wrap up hour number two. You're listening to the RP3 and Company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. (laughs) The New Orleans Saints are going to be taking on the Baltimore Ravens this coming Monday night on Monday Night Football, of course. And the game will get you ready for the primetime matchup between the Black and Gold and the Flock. Crunch Time with Miguez and will be broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnston Street from 4 to 6 o'clock. So come hang out with the fellas. Enjoy the ice-cold beverages Great appetizers, tasty burgers, wings, and everything else Twin Peaks has to offer. This coming Monday night, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh broadcasting live from Twin Peaks on Johnston. Just in time to get you geared up for the Saints-Ravens Monday night football game. Twin Peaks eats, drinks, scenic views. What we got coming up? Got another hour to do? All right. I guess. I guess. I reckon. (laughs) Coming up. Next hour here in RP3 and Company, Andrew Juge will join us from the Saints Happy Hour podcast for the Big Easy Blitz. That'll be coming up at 8.30. We'll also have our foodie poll question of the week roundtable discussion and of five names. Moses Campos, the wild man Steve Wiley, and yours truly will discuss, hey, what's your favorite way of eating cornbread? That'll be coming up as we're having fun with our foodie poll question of the the week and then to lead off our number three here on rp3 and company jay walker longtime voice of the louisiana raging cajuns he'll join us give his thoughts on what he saw in hattiesburg how the team fought back but came up short and can they put it together to take down troy this saturday at cajun field we'll talk about that with jay coming up next oh you're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and those World Series playing Houston Astros.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right
2: this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, Big, bald, beautiful beautiful host, host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3. Houston
3: Astros. Lance McCullers makes history for all the wrong reasons, becoming the first pitcher in Major League Baseball history to surrender five home runs in a single World Series game. As the Stros get shut out 7 to nothing in Game 3 of the World Series, Phillies now hold a 2-1 advantage in the Fall Classic. Game 4 will be tonight, live from Philadelphia. Astro launch will begin at 6.30. First pitch, 7.03. You can listen to that game live right here on the game. Your home for the Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. Right now, though, it's time for us to start talking some Louisiana raging Cajuns. Great atmosphere last week in Hattiesburg. Their fans really did come out. It was a nice atmosphere for a Thursday night game. It went the Cajuns, well, it didn't go their way to start off with. After that initial interception, everything kind of came off the rails a little bit but the Cajuns fought back made adjustments and actually had a couple of opportunities late in the ball game to tie it up and possibly force overtime unfortunately they were unable to do so as they fell to Southern Miss there in Hattiesburg to give us his thoughts on what he saw from his perspective is the longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns Jay Walker now joins us here on this Wednesday edition of RP Three and Company, Jay. Good morning to you, my friend. How are you, bud?
0: Uh, I'm well, but I but I got a I got a World Series question for you. Um, you know, I realize that you got statistician people that are, you know, doing stuff, but who came up with the idea of, hey, let's look back and see how many home runs there have been hit in World Series history, <laughs> because. You get to, you get a home run and it and it it appears on the screen. One thousandth home run in World Series history. Whose idea was that to look it up? That's what I want to know.
3: Well, the nerds <laughs> that's, that's who that's who. There's people that are just paid just to look up all that all that data. I do find it interesting that they have it just at their disposal, right? It's just right there. Like, they've game-planned every scenario. They processed through the mega-computer, and it spits it out and says, well, you know, there's a possibility that Lance McCullers could be the guy that's given up the most home runs in World Series history in a single game. All right, well, well, there we go. It's right here in front of me. That's crazy. It is crazy, bud. Tell me what you thought about the game on Thursday. Obviously, disappointing result. I get that. But I did like the fight they showed, and I like the fact that they made adjustments at halftime and, you know, nearly – was able to tie this ball game a couple of times in the last four minutes of the game. Obviously, no moral victories, Jay, but give me your uh, thoughts on what you saw in Hattiesburg.
0: Well, they gave up a couple of explosive plays, which really, really hurt them early in the game. And well, I'll tell you, when you're on the road, it's really hard to come from behind. And I agree with you. You know They, they gave Southern Miss exactly 50, 51 yards, I think it was, in the second half, and put themselves in a position to maybe come back. But let's go back to what you and I talked about last week, Ray. There were two big keys to the game. Field position and turnover margin. Yep. Well, the Cajuns were minus two in the turnover margin. And if you look back, they had two drives that started past the 35-yard line. And that was it. Southern Miss won the field position battle all night long. The Cajuns had a ton of possessions where they would have had to go 75, 80 yards or more uh, in order. And and I said that I didn't think the Cajuns would be able to do that against the Southern Miss defense. And so you gave up explosive plays early. You played really well in the second half, but it still came down to those two keys, and the Cajuns lost both of them, and they lost the game as a result.
3: I agree. I mean, you look at – the, the mistakes that they had with those turnovers and that proved to be costly. And the thing was, and it, it was, uh, we were talking about it inside the press box last week, uh, myself, Corey, and, and Kevin, that the game was kind of drunk because any possible scenario that could happen did happen. We had a safety because of intentional grounding in the end zone. We had a, a extra point blocked and returned uh, for, for, for points and, multiple turnovers, big plays, sensational plays. Even by the Cajuns, uh, Jefferson just went off. They could not guard him at all down the sideline. It, It had everything that you would want in a crazy game. And yet, despite all that, the Cajuns still had a chance. I also thought, Jay, they struggled early in the first half and part of the third quarter with the pass protection. Southern Miss did a good job with their pass rush of collapsing the pocket and forcing Ben to have to go through his reads quicker than he wanted.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. You know, the the offensive line has kind of been a work in progress all year, and we've seen them improve. They didn't have Jax Harrington, uh, and I think they missed him.
3: Yeah, uh, I agree. On,
0: uh, on Saturday, and on Thursday, rather. And they're going to miss him again this week. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, Uh, a breakdown in protection, Um, you know, it happened. Uh, You hope that they'll do a little bit better this week, but they're going to play a defense even better
3: this week, so we'll see. You know, they have to turn the page pretty quickly here uh, because they have to get wins, right? That's the position that they're in right now. And Troy comes to town, and Troy has a chance to win the West. They have a lot to play for. They have a very salty defense as well. But I do wonder, and and going on the road, Jay, like they did, in in a very good environment, an old rival, and the fact that they came up short hurts. But they made the adjustments. They rallied. They had an opportunity. And talking to those guys afterwards, whether it was Coach Dez or talking to Chris Moncrief or Zion Hill Green, They were angry. Like, you could tell that they were disappointed in themselves. They were disappointed that they didn't get the job done. They felt like they didn't do their job as coaches. They didn't do their job as players. Could they use that disappointment and that anger from losing that game that they thought they should have won? Can that be used as an advantage, especially with a team with the veteran presence that they have on the roster? Yeah,
0: possibly so. Um, I think that, you know, I'm glad. Uh, I'm not glad they lost, you understand, but but I'm glad they were mad. I'm glad they were angry. It means they care. And um, so, yeah, I I think that, you know, sometimes you can take a loss and it motivates you, and, you know, hopefully that will be the case. You know, the Cajuns have played um, good football at home this year. You know, they had had the loss to, to South Alabama when they were still trying to find themselves a little bit. Uh, and I think playing at home and having a senior night and all of that good stuff. I think that's uh, they've got a chance to make that uh, play to, to their favor. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's good that that when you go and you get whipped, but you think you shouldn't have, and you you know you got to do some looking in the mirror and uh, and, and self-searching. Uh, I think that that can be a good thing when you come out the next time. Yeah.
3: We're talking with Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let's talk about Troy. They moved over from the east to the west this year, also made a coaching change. It seemingly has made a big difference. They are very good and doing a lot of different things. What stands out to you when you look at them, Jay? What type of challenges are the Troy Trojans going to present the Cajuns Saturday?
0: It's really good defensive football team. Um, you know, I, I, I said when the Cajuns played South Alabama, it was probably the best team that they had played so far and might be the best defense that they would face. Uh, I'm not sure that, uh, that Troy isn't even better defensively than, than South Alabama. And I think what makes Troy so good is there's, there's not a lot to exploit with the Troy defense. They're good against the run. They're good against the intermediate passing game. Their, their defensive backs are good. They can cover. Uh, and, uh, and they're not easy to get big plays on. So, uh, you know, that's the biggest challenge they have. You know, John Summerall is their new head coach. And, you know, I think I mentioned this when, uh, when the Cajuns played South Alabama, that most of the coaches in this league are offensive-minded coaches. But uh, Kane Womack over at South Alabama, as a defensive guy. Well, Sumrall is, too. And um, he's got this team playing extremely well on the defensive side of the football. Um, you know, they're, they're a Hail Mary away from just kind of running through this league. And uh, Carlton Marshall, uh, their inside linebacker, is uh, he's about to break the NCAA record for tackles in a career. That's how good that dude is. So Cajuns are going to have... Um, going to have their work cut out for them because Troy's defense is just outstanding. They've got uh, two quarterbacks that have played for them. Gunnar Watson was their starter. Uh, He had some injury issues and uh, Jared Dagey, who uh, came to Troy via a couple other schools, including Western Kentucky came in and did a really nice job for him. So um, they've got capabilities on offense, but the strength of that team is on the defensive side of the football and they're very good in what they do.
3: Very good. They're not going to give up a lot. Could special teams for the Cajuns be the X factor in this ballgame then?
0: Uh, Maybe. Um, But I think think Troy's special teams are are good as well. I, I think the Cajuns have got to match the execution and the intensity on defense that Troy is going to bring to Cajun field. I think that's the first thing that they have to do. Um, And then, you know, once again, uh, you know, you can't turn the football over. Um, I I said last week you can't lose the turnover battle. I'll I'll take another step. This week the Cajuns have to win the turnover battle um, if they're going to have a chance to win. And that's a possibility. This team's been good at taking the football away. Uh, Kicking game could play part of it, yeah. Yeah. You know, the Cajuns need to try to get themselves some short fields if they can. But it's uh, they got their work cut out. You know, Troy basically can lock up the West, not mathematically, but for all intents and purposes, they can go ahead and lock up the West with a win. So they're going to come in very motivated, uh, and they're also going to remember and they're going to get reminded what happened last time they came to Cajun Field and the Cajuns won a lot to a little. Cajuns hung 50 on Troy in that game. So you've got a lot of guys on that team that were at Cajun Field the last time uh, the two teams met here. That's going to be a motivation for the Trojans as well.
3: I'd be remiss if I don't ask you about hoops because the season tips off Monday, uh, mm-hmm. women and the men. Uh, what are you looking forward to with the basketball teams, Jay?
0: Well, I, I think, um, first of all, you know, just, to, just to mention the women, huge blow this week because they've lost Brandy Williams for the year, for the second year in a row. And, uh, you know, forgive Gary Broadhead. If he was a little down in his uh, media availability on Monday, that's, that's a huge loss for that team. Now they've got some depth. They've got some people who can score. They're going to miss her a lot. Um, As far as the men are concerned, you know, I was, I was impressed Ray. The way when Bob Marlin got up uh, on Monday, you know, I was curious to see what he was going to say about being picked to win the league, because I thought that was a bit of a stretch. I mean, I, I'd have picked him in the top three or four. I don't know that I would have picked him to win it, but, but he got up and they're embracing that they're, they're basically saying, yeah, you know, we want to be the favorite. We want to be the ones that people come after because we want to come after them. And I was, I was impressed with, with the way he's approaching it and, um, you know, I, I want to see more than anything else, especially before conference play starts. I want to see how much better the Cajuns have gotten at the point guard spot. I thought Michael Thomas second half of the year showed a lot of improvement. I want to see if he's improved some more and I think he needs to. And then, and also to see what Themis folks can do, um, coming in off the bench. He's got, he's a guy who can get to the rim. Uh, and so that 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 gives him a, a little uh, a little bit of an extra thing there, but that's my curiosity. I want to see how much better they've gotten at the point guard spot. Also, Chancellor White is a young man from Houston, uh, freshman this year. He's going to get I think significant minutes early in the season while they wait for Kobe Julian to come back, and he's uh, slated to come back maybe in December. I want to watch that young man. I've seen him in practice a couple of times. I think he's really got a chance to be not a good player, but an all-conference caliber player. But they're going to depend on him uh, early in the season. I want to see how a freshman responds to that when they go to places like SMU and Texas.
3: Jay, always appreciate you, Tom, brother. Enjoy being on the call on Saturday. And I know you're excited for hoop season as well, brother. We'll talk to you next week, my friend.
0: All right, I'll look forward to it. Thanks
3: a lot. Yeah, losing Brandy that way, we haven't really talked about it. Young lady out of Lake Charles, she had a knee injury four games into the season last year, lost her. She was a preseason second-team honoree for this year, was going to be the leader of this team, a great scorer. Now she's going to be out again. I think her career's done. Back-to-back seasons of having knee injuries – probably a wrap that's a huge blow for the raging Cajuns women's basketball team for sure men I agree with Jay what's the point guard play going to look like if they can figure that out they can win the conference and get to the NCAA tournament they have that type of talent but it's all going to come down to the point guard appreciate Jay for his time we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, it'll be time for our foodie poll question of the week roundtable discussion. Hannah, five names, Moses Campos, and the wild man, Steve Wiley. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Hey,
2: hey. Camara bobbles in at the 20. He reels it in, and he's got the ball. What a catch by Camara. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the NFL.
3: Oh, we got a treat for you. Tomorrow night will be game five of the World Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros. And guess what? Kevin Foote is going to be watching the game live here inside the studio. And we're going to share it with all of you on our Facebook account. We will be streaming Kevin Foote reacting to Game 5 of the World Series on our Facebook account and on our Twitch account. So you can watch Kevin react in live time to whether or not the Houston Astros get a win or get a loss.
8: Either way, it's not going to be
3: boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, either way, it will be wildly entertaining. So, Game 5 tomorrow night, Thursday night. Obviously, we'll carry the game live here on the game. But we'll also have Kevin Foote set up here in the studio watching the game on the big television, rooting on his Astros to a win, Hopefully. And you can kind of hang out with him and watch him on our Facebook account and on our Twitch account. We'll share all that information on social media as well today and tomorrow. Facebook Live, Twitch Live with Kevin Foote watching the Astros. See, the great thing about Footsie is that he doesn't curse. See, so you, you don't have to worry about those things. Most fans, they get all animated, they'll be cursing. Foote doesn't curse, so... We don't he have to does worry about get that.
8: animated though oh, he gets get oh, he
3: gets angry he he gets he's he, he by far gets the most angry of any people I know that don't curse <laughs> like part of me just feels like if he cursed a little bit he would be able to be a little bit better with things he <laughs> wouldn't get to him as much oh man you heard Steve Wiley good morning good morning my friend Steve Wiley's here the wild man. Producer extraordinaire Miss Hannah 5 names is here and of course the intern extraordinaire Moses Campos is here and it's all about our foodie poll question of the week what is your favorite way to eat cornbread right now this has been a tight race all morning long people are voting and they're getting their submissions in as well what is your favorite way to eat cornbread a staple down south obviously say cornbread with a little bit of butter, just right out of the skillet. 35% say cornbread dressing is their favorite way to eat cornbread. And 30% say cornbread in milk, which my daughter likes to have as a snack. She got that from spending time at her Mimi and Pops. Others have came in and said sometimes milk with syrup, sometimes with sugar. A lot of people like using it in chili uh, as a side dish for their chili or for their gumbo. So I'm going to open it up. And we're going to start with the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah. Five names. What is your favorite way to eat cornbread? We already know it's not going to be cornbread and milk, as you made a disgusted-looking face when I talked about my <laughs> daughter enjoying it so much. And you crushed her little soul, probably, by doing that.
6: I did not. <laughs> she is <laughs> at school. She crushed my soul a little bit, saying that Reese is the top pick for the candy drop. And that's not that great. Yesterday. So, crushed me a little bit
3: okay it's okay it's okay so, fine. all right so what's your way what's your preferred way
6: so of the actual op-in, options options uh, options
3: <laughs> options of the
6: actual options Words would are be <laughs> would be cornbread with butter but i am definitely a a really big fan of doing it with like over red beans over it and then stuffing my sausage inside of the cornbread and eating it like as a sandwich it's, like, it's almost like the red beans are like you're like icing, like a cupcake would be, but I put like sausage on the inside of the cornbread.
3: I eat cornbread every time we have red beans. Last night, my wife made white beans and sausage. So, of course, we made cornbread with that. I've never inserted my sausage from the red beans and rice into the piece of cornbread, but I'm intrigued by that. I probably will try that, but... That's your go-to, but cornbread, just basic cornbread with butter is your preferred yeah. option. Yeah. Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of folks are talking about inserting it into a dish, using it as part of your gumbo or your red beans and rice or, uh, in, or even as a soup or a chili. So we've had a lot of that. But of the options we provided, a little butter. butter is what you're going to go with. Mm-hmm. We now go to Intern Extraordinaire Moses Campos. Moses, how do you prefer your cornbread?
4: I guess a couple of ways. I eat it straight up or from the options like she said with butter. But when my dad makes his chili I like to cut it open and put the chili in the middle and eat it like a sandwich.
3: Using cornbread to make <laughs> sandwiches. I was not prepared for this. I was nor was I prepared for you and Hannah to be on the same page with this.
6: Look at that! The
3: earth is tilting on its axis. It it only took a couple months for you guys to actually find something to agree upon. It's progression.
6: (laughs) We're getting there. (laughs) You are getting there.
3: Begrudgingly so. Moses is even trembling a little bit. He's like, I can't believe we're on the same page about something. I know, it's weird. I feel like I failed myself and my family. Brought shame to my household.
4: I hope they're not listening. (laughs) (laughs) So... So,
3: you like making the little sandwiches out of the the pieces of cornbread. All right, so. Doesn't s- it fall apart? Yeah. I, that, 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 I would, would think it would question? just like
8: crumble and
4: disintegrate on you. Sometimes. <laughs> but that's more of the fun. You just put it in the chili then.
6: Right. Okay. I think you think about it. If you let it like the cornbread itself cool for a little bit, then it won't be like as hot. If it's hot, it doesn't disintegrate really quick with anything kind of like soupy or like kind of liquided, but maybe the chili like brings it together. It's been cooled down for a little bit. It's kind of, like, more solid.
8: I see. I see. All right, wild man. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. With milk, eh, quiz show buzzer. No! (laughs) (laughs) Now, you, I got to agree with you, RP3, that they've brought up some intriguing ideas. But once again, back to the options at hand. I do love cornbread dressing, Mm. but I, I, I don't have it often. Usually, you know, like Thanksgiving turkey or whatever. So, Nothing's
3: preventing you from having cornbread dressing any time of the year, but I'm just letting you know. Of, I know. Yeah. You're allowed. You're allowed. Yeah,
8: It's an all-year treat. But it's something I don't make often. Um, I do make cornbread at home from time to time. And of the options offered here, definitely with some butter on top. Hands down. Okay? No question. And there's something that I like to do when I make cornbread. You know, I take the easy way out and I use the Jiffy mix and – make it according to the box instructions, then I add a can of cream-style corn to it.
3: A lot of people like doing that.
8: Yeah, it makes Mm -hmm. it nice and moist. Yes.
3: Yes. So anyway, yeah, with
8: butter on top.
3: So we're all in agreement. We all love cornbread. Yes. Yes. We're all in agreement. It seems like going with butter is our preferred option of the options that are available. Yes. But everyone likes to be a little – I'm intrigued by the – uh, being a little bit more avant-garde and trying to make a cornbread sandwich, I just don't think that works. I think it's just going to crumble. So I might as well just put the cornbread in the chili or the cornbread in the gumbo and just go with it.
2: Because mm-hmm.
3: it feels like it'd be it feels like it'd be a, lo- a lot of work for something that would fall apart is- before I could even put it in my mouth.
8: Sounds like my love life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done.
6: Oh. Use the word moist too. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs>
8: Keep
3: voting on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What's your favorite way to eat cornbread? Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. For the wild man, Steve Wiley. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. And the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos. That's going to do it for our poll question of the day roundtable discussion. Up next, Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us. We'll talk things, all things black and gold for the Big Easy Blitz. That's next right here on The Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Who is ready for Saints talk? They give the Camaro breaks through, spins at the two into the end zone, touchdown. Time to talk Saints with the big easy blitz here on RP3 and Company.
3: We get to talk to Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour Podcast, and we get to discuss a victory? What? Is the world upside down? Good morning, brother. How are you?
7: I'm doing great. I'm actually just sending you my weekly article, so you should be receiving that in a moment, and uh, be on the lookout for that at 1037 The Game's website.
3: Oh, bud. Look at you. Just living the dream. All right. Let's get right to it. defense. Had been, let's be honest, less than mediocre for most of the season. I don't know what happened, but keeping Devontae Adams to one catch, keeping Derek Carr under 200 yards of offense, and the Raiders under 200 yards of offense, bottling up Josh Jacobs, getting turnovers, tackling well. I don't know what happened, but the defense finally woke up for the first time in about a year.
7: Yeah, I would love an explanation as to who that defense was on the field. Uh, I, I saw the same names. I saw the same jerseys, but it must have been different people uh, playing in those shoulder pads. So, no, it, it was very surprising. And, uh, look, this is a defense we kind of expected to see all year from Dennis Allen and this group. And uh, I don't know what why it took so long for them to kind of live up to their potential. But, uh, yeah, like you said, that's what we saw. We saw them stop the run, and we always talk about how important that is to this group. And for them to be effective, it really starts there to get in these down and distance situations where they're ahead of schedule and it's third and let's say more than five. Uh, And then, and then from there getting a pass rush with four, four pass rushers and they, they've struggled to do that at times this year. Uh, But I thought Davenport was tremendous. I thought David Onyemata had some good plays. Cam Jordan did his thing, obviously getting Peyton Turner back and getting a lot of production out of him was unexpected, but uh, a welcome development. And so, Uh, Look, obviously, that was huge for the Saints. Uh, I don't know that anyone would have thought Devontae Adams would get limited like that without Marshawn Lattimore on the field. Uh, But uh, we'll see where they go from here. Obviously, a big test on Monday night against Lamar Jackson, who presents a very different kind of challenge in defending him. Uh, But it's a step in the right direction. And when you look at this team, only one game out of first place in the NFC South, they still have everything to play for.
3: Peyton Turner made plays. Peyton Turner played a game. I don't know what's a bigger deal, the fact that he made plays or that he even played a game. But either way, you got to take it for the second year guy out of Houston who the Saints are very high on, but he's been injured or healthy scratched for most of his career. Uh, That's very promising what we saw against the Raiders.
7: Yeah, listen, people have been really uh, critical of the Saints drafting as of late and uh, you know, kind of the production that they've gotten out of some of their draft picks, but This was a game where that wasn't it. And uh, you you felt like this would have been a really encouraging sign if you're a Saints fan or if you're the Saints front office that uh, these draft picks are starting to come around. Certainly Cesar Ruiz has been a big story all season with his level of play. And I would say over the last four or five weeks, he's been outstanding. Uh, So I think that's really encouraging when you look at Cesar Ruiz maybe becoming a really solid player, even though he was kind of like uh, the fan base viewed him as – uh, a bust and and highly criticized uh, he seems to have turned a corner in a big way you talk about peyton turner finally comes out as two sacks as a really big game i thought marcus davenport who is often criticized he i thought he was tremendous in this game and played really well and and then you look at look pete werner continues to be amazing alante taylor uh stepped up in this game and really helped shut down Devonte adams so there was a lot of young players that made some plays in this game. And I think looking forward into the future, that's a really encouraging sign for a lot of those that were critical of these draft picks. Now, obviously that's just one game and they have to keep it going. Uh, but that was a positive sign for the saints.
3: Defense played very well across the board, all three levels. Werner is an absolute tackling machine. Uh, it feels like maybe the baton is being passed off slowly to him from DeMario Davis. Um, I think they're going to be fine there for years to come. Yet another Ohio State player producing for the Saints. That's a story as old as time. Let's go offensively. Alvin Kamara has a breakthrough game. They got him the ball. They got him the ball in space. He did a lot of the work. They got Taysom Hill involved as well. And offensively, they were able to make things happen yet again without Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry.
7: Yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to point out now that you talk about stats lying. the saints are now the number 10 defense in the rankings in the NFL. And so it's amazing how one amazing game can kind of skew the stats. Now they've vaulted up the rankings. And so uh, the saints can now boast the top 10 defense. They're ranked fifth by the way, offensively. So it's kind of maddening to think that you have the fifth best offense, the 10th best defense. Uh, If you look at Carolina, Tampa, And Atlanta, they're in the 20s in both categories. So this is a division where you look at the rankings where you're like, yes, the Saints should be at the top of this division and kind of dominating. Unfortunately, they're dead last in the NFL in turnover ratio at negative nine. So that's been the story. The Saints, if they protect the football, they should be able to win all these games that they're playing. Uh, And when they don't, obviously, that that kind of levels the playing field. But you know, offensively, they continue to hum. I I I think Andy Dalton has been... Uh, really efficient. I think he's played well. Look, he was fortunate with the interception that the two feet don't land in bounds, but uh, those are the plays you want to minimize. And I think, besides that one mistake overall, he was really solid. Uh, but this offense right now, it's all about the play up front of the offensive line and what it's doing to set up Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill specifically. Uh, this team is absolutely riding those two guys. Uh, the volume is a little high for my liking. So, you know, obviously, if something were to happen, Alvin Kamara, and or Taysom Hill, uh, I don't think the Saints could sustain the injury to either of those two players and and be in good shape to continue to play this way offensively. So they need those guys healthy. Uh, They accounted, Raymond, for over 63% of the gained yards in this game for the Saints. So clearly they have two horses that they are riding consistently right now. They're productive for the Saints. But it's it's not just them that's the story. It's really the play of the offensive line up front. Uh, from left to right, really all five guys are playing at a really high level. Uh, we talked about the development of Cesar Ruiz. That's a really big deal. I feel like Ryan Ramchek, he holds Max Crosby, one of the best pass rushers in the league, zero sacks, zero QB hits. Uh, he kept Andy Dalton clean all day. So Ryan Ramchek really earning that contract and uh, getting Andrew's back was big. And so I, I just feel like up front, that's been the story of the season for the Saints If there's one area besides the linebackers, you mentioned Werner and and Demario Davis. I think they're in really good shape there as long as they stay healthy. Uh, But on the offensive line, that's been the most productive unit of the Saints all season.
3: Mark Ingram gets banged up, which is not necessarily surprising. He's been nicked up the last couple seasons of his career. He's on the back end of it, right? Um, But he's going to be out for a little while. What do they do at running back behind Alvin Kamara now?
7: Yeah, I mean, there were some rumors about maybe looking at a running back at the trade deadline. Nothing happened there. So, uh, obviously, Mickey Loomis just felt like he had already given up enough assets to where they didn't really want to ship out any more draft picks. So, uh, so they stay pat at, at, at that position. And so, yeah, you, you wait for Mark Ingram to come back. He's uh, apparently out for three to four weeks with an MCL sprain. And, and so someone else is going to have to step up. I think the big danger here, again, is, is the volume level. Now, Taysom Hill does get a lot of carries that take some of the volume off Alvin Kamara, uh, but you want to keep him healthy too. And I think managing their reps uh, and finding that sweet spot for how much you use them is going to be really critical moving forward because obviously we know this offense operates at its best with Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill heavily involved, but you can't get in a position where you're overusing them and risking injury. So you need someone to come in and and, and kind of at least give you five or six touches a week. Uh, Look, Dwayne Washington had it last week. I don't know that that's a guy you want to be using consistently unless it's an emergency situation. Uh, Jordan Howard is a veteran. He's only 27 years old. Uh, He had a pretty good season last year for the Eagles. He's had some injuries in his career, but uh, he's currently on the Saints practice squad. And I think he's the next man up. I expect him to get called up this weekend. Uh, and we'll see what he can do. But I think the Saints are fortunate to have Jordan Howard on their practice squad, and uh, I'm eager to see what he can do in this offense. I think his time may be coming uh, to produce and get a chance here.
3: We're talking with Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. I want to talk about Chris Alave because he has made the transition to the NFL extremely well. His route running is just so good. It's like he's been in the league for five years. He catches everything thrown his way. He gets the tough yardage. He can also go deep. He's a complete wide receiver, and he's doing this leading rookie wide receiver in yards and catches this season in the NFL. And what stood out to me more than anything, Andrew, is that he's doing that without having the help on the field of Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry who have now missed five and six games. He doesn't have that. So he's getting number one cornerback treatment out there, and he's still producing.
7: You know, one thing that's amazing, you know, when, when I look at quarterbacks around the league, Raymond, I mean, I, the best are always the guys that throw people open. And, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of quarterbacks that play, and they have to see it, and they have to see a guy wide open uh, in order to make that throw and a lot of times it's too late at that point point. and uh, you know and not that Andy Dalton is, is is one of the greatest by any means at quarterback but you're starting to see him trust Alave so much that the ball is coming out when Olave's out of his break or maybe even just before his break and so a lot of times Dalton he, he knows Olave's going to be in that spot he knows he's going to catch it he knows he's going to create separation because his route running is so precise and he's like, I'm just going to throw it to that spot and, and let Alave go get it. And uh, I think that's been one of the things you saw it against the Raiders. There were a number of third and six, third and seven, third and eights where they're just easily converting those because of the separation that Alave is creating. And so it, what's remarkable, as you said, is that there's no Landry, there's no Michael Thomas. And so Alave getting all the attention. He's getting the primary cover guy and uh, and he's still winning. And as a rookie, you you just feel like the game feels really slow for him. It's already slowing down. He's very comfortable. His route running is incredible. He has great speed, good hands. Uh, I I think Rookie of the Year, look, there's a lot of football left. But I do think Rookie of the Year is in play for him. Uh, If he can continue to stay healthy and keep producing like this. uh, You can only imagine with Michael Thomas coming back and Jarvis Landry coming back, what other opportunities this might open up for him in terms of production. Um, but he's been just absolutely tremendous. Uh, and I think he's only scratching the surface. Look, if you, if you talk about what Andy Dalton at 35 is able to do with him, uh, if the Saints – and look, Olave is going to survive Andy Dalton in this offense. So he, he's, he's going to be on this team much longer than Andy Dalton is the quarterback. And it, it, it's, it's a little scary to think at some point if the Saints can find their quarterback of the future and find a guy that can consistently make plays back there – uh, regardless of who that is, uh, they are really set up to succeed with this receiver, who's only going to get better.
3: He's just so impressive, and you see why the Saints wanted to to get him and, and trade up to, to to get him because they knew they saw what his potential was. All right, let's switch to Monday night because the Ravens are a very beatable team, as many teams in the NFL are this year. But the Saints have always struggled with a guy that can do both and lamar is the best at killing you with a 55 yard pass down the seam and beating you with a 45 yard run on a a broken play Uh, there's no one better in the league than him he's a former mvp he is a star and he is a problem the saints have always had issues with that what do you make of this matchup on monday night and how can the saints win the game
7: yeah, it's going to take sound, disciplined defense. It's going to take good tackling. Uh, it's going to take uh, gap integrity. It's going to—it's going to take all the things that, uh, you, from a discipline standpoint, the Saints are going to have to be really sharp. Uh, you know, he's a guy, Lamar Jackson, where you, you can bottle up a play, you can play it perfectly defensively, and he can break out of the pocket. He can make things happen with his feet, and uh, he, he's a very, very challenging matchup because look quite frankly the saints have had a lot of struggles with these types of quarterbacks mobile quarterbacks have kind of been the kryptonite for lack of a better way of putting it uh, for the saints defense over the last few years as good as they've been when they face a guy like this uh, a lot of times they struggle and uh, so this presents a unique challenge and as good as it is to see the saints play at a high level defensively against the raiders and the raiders look the Raiders, they, they held them to 189 yards, which is the lowest offensive output by any team in the NFL this season. And that's nothing to sneeze at because the Raiders came into this game a top-five scoring offense. Um, and so that that was a really – this is not like they, the Carolina Panthers came in with their third-string quarterback and Christian McCaffrey traded and they shut them down. I mean, they, they shut down a real offense. So kudos to the Saints. Um, but, again, this presents a really unique and different challenge – and Lamar Jackson, obviously, you want to try to make it look. We, we know Rashad Bateman's going to miss this game. Uh, there's a good chance that Mark Andrews will miss this game. So he'll be missing some weapons. And I think it's going to be really important to try to turn Lamar Jackson, keep him in the pocket, force him to be a passer. That doesn't mean he can't beat you that way, too, because he is that special. Uh, but I think all things being considered, you would rather him go vertical on you uh, than make plays with his feet. So I think defensively, that has to be the approach. Offensively, look, I I think the Saints are going to go. We'll see what Roquan Smith, you know, he obviously the Ravens just traded for him. And we'll see what he's able to contribute in his first game. Um, That's going to help Baltimore. But defensively, they've been a mess, especially in the secondary. And they've had a lot of injuries on the back end. And so this is yet another matchup that I think the Saints offensively will be able to exploit. I think they'll be able to move the football. This could become kind of like the Arizona Saints game, a little bit of a shootout. Um, and it's just going to be really important offensively that while the Saints be aggressive and, and go for points, go for yards, that they not turn the football over because it, it's going to be about protecting the football, and I think that will decide the game.
3: Andrew, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your weekend, a uh, stress-free weekend, right? Uh, no no Saints game to cheer on. You have to wait till Monday, so I hope you enjoy it, my friend
7: absolutely well we'll get a chance to watch the nfc south games we get to hate watch the falcons and and bucks and and see how they do and uh then you you can relax going into monday hopefully a couple losses there so uh yeah look again saints only one game out of first place uh everything to play for and so this is a big one on monday night looking forward to it
3: talk to you next week bud
7: sounds good thanks raymond
3: we gotta take a time out Wrap up the show that's coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Mm -hmm. I want to take a moment to thank all of our guests. Lisa Prejean from the Karen Crow Veterans Memorial Committee. They're having their great ceremony event this weekend honoring our local veterans, so appreciate her coming by, talking about that. Ron Higgins, live from the movie set. Our guy, Chuck, came in off the cruise on the movie set, helping us talk LSU Bama Week. Jay Walker, longtime voice of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and, of course, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour Podcast, joining us for the Big Easy Blitz. We asked you for our foodie poll question of the week, what is your favorite way to eat cornbread? And we got a tie. 35% 35% say cornbread with butter. 35% say cornbread dressing. 30% of you say cornbread in milk. Thanks to all who voted and left their comments on Facebook and Twitter. We greatly appreciate that. That's going to do it for today's show. For the intern extraordinaire, Moses Campos, the wild man, Steve Wiley, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. I'm Raymond Parch third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind of one another. Kevin Foot in Footnotes is up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.